0: You're listening to Isaiah, a sermon series from Coram Deo Church in Omaha, Nebraska. For more resources, visit cdomaha.com. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain him with a word, him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear, to hear as those who are taught— The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you, for he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give... Ear to me, my nation. For law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner, but salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. This is the word of God.
1: Good morning, church family. If you haven't done so yet, I invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 50 and 51 uh, this morning. For those of you who are newer or who are guests with us, my name is Justin Curtis. I get the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here uh, in our community and the, uh, the honor to be able to open God's word and to preach this morning. Um. Pastor Bob Thune, who's our primary uh, teaching pastor and lead pastor, he is actually at uh, Emmaus Bible Church this morning uh, in South Omaha, preaching to our brothers and sisters in Christ there. So when you get a chance and the Spirit brings him and them to mind, I want to invite you to be praying for them, praying for the ministry of the Word, and that God would continue to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, over at Emmaus Bible Church. Uh, Some of you uh, probably know uh, that three weeks ago this morning, uh, my wife and I brought home baby number five, so brought a picture to share, um, don't, don't let their smiles deceive you, they are a bunch of work, um. I just really wanted to take a moment uh, on behalf of of me and my family to thank you guys really for the ways in which you have blessed and cared for us over the last few weeks, and just really have done so over the years. But uh, your words of encouragement, your notes, uh, meals, prayers, all those things have been a significant blessing, and really you are a tangible evidence of God's grace to me and to my wife Tracy and to our family. So on behalf of the Curtis crew, I just want to say thank you. uh, Praise God for you. So thank you for that. Um, Comedian Jim Gaffigan says that if you want to know what it's like to have four or five children, just imagine yourself drowning in the ocean, and then somebody hands you a baby. Okay, um, That's fairly true. That's fairly accurate. It is hard. It is challenging. There is no way around it. It challenges uh, sleep. It challenges energy. It challenges self-control. Um, praying for more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in my home uh, during this season that is a kind of a taxing season. Uh, Tracy and I uh, have adopted kind of a modified box and one technique in dealing with the kids. She uh, is kind of one-on-one with, with baby Joy, uh, while the four kids kind of make a box around me and torment me for about 24 hours a day uh, until I fall over, and then they laugh and jump on me. Um, but that's the reality. And, and what we've found over the last few weeks um, is, is that the, the difference between a good morning and a very hard morning, the difference between a Good evening and a very challenging evening uh, comes down just to the fundamental uh, discipline of listening. Right? It's like what we found out yesterday. What makes a difference between a 15 minute quick trip to Menards to get some yard waste bags and what can become a 60 minute catastrophe at Menards trying to get yard waste bags is really just the discipline of listening. Right, Like when, when the bigs, the four older ones, when they listen to the voice of their father and mother and respond in obedience, things tend to go well for everybody. Right? They get to experience greater joy, greater gladness. Um, and when they don't listen, things tend to unravel rather quickly. And so it is true with God's people, the people of Israel. Uh, we have been preaching through the book of Isaiah uh, throughout the year. And one repetitive theme that has come up again and again as we've worked our way through this rich book is the fact that Israel, God's chosen people, have a listening problem. They struggle to listen. And it's been seen throughout. If you go all the way back to uh, Isaiah chapter 6, the conversion and the commissioning of Isaiah, Isaiah has this vision from the Lord. He is converted. He's a broken man, a repentant man who trusts in the Lord. And then God speaks over him and says, Who shall we send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah gets up off the ground and says, Here am I. Send me. And then God says to him, Go and say to this people, Israel, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So from the get-go, we've seen that Israel... Has had a problem hearing. A few weeks ago in chapter 48, we saw once again God said, you have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. And even last week, we saw in the text when we were looking at Isaiah chapter 49 into the early part of chapter 50, God was speaking over his people, if you remember last week, word after word of assurance and word after word of affirmation. And this is the question that God leaves with them in verse 2 of chapter 50. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? See, consistently, over and over again, we have seen this persistent problem for the people of Israel was a failure to listen. Which I believe begs the question for us all this morning, who do you listen to? Who do you allow to influence your worldview? Who do you go to for counsel and direction during difficult times? Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Is it anybody? Maybe your gospel community? Maybe your family? Do you go to God? Do you try to listen to what he has to say in his word? Another way to frame it out would be Who do you not listen to? Who have you turned a deaf ear to? Who keeps asking you to do things that you don't want to do or become someone that you don't want to become, either for good or for bad, and you've just rejected their counsel? Have you tuned out specific authority figures in your own life because really at the end of the day you want to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it? Have you stopped listening to God? Or to even ask it more bluntly, have you ever listened to God? You see, the good news of the Christian faith is this. It's the fact that God has spoken, right? We saw this as we were setting up the profession of faith this morning. God has spoken and he has revealed himself to us. Theologians will say that there are two categories in which God has revealed himself, through general revelation and through specific revelation. General revelation would be how God has revealed himself to to anyone everywhere, right? God has revealed himself through creation. He has revealed himself through common grace. He has revealed himself through uh, our conscience. But in addition to general revelation, out of a desire to reveal himself, make himself known so that people can enter into a personal relationship with him, God has initiated special revelation. This is great news for us, right? It's the fact that God has initiated relationship with us through specific revelation. And the primary means in which God has revealed himself specially is through his word, our sacred scriptures, the Holy Bible. The Bible also says that God uh, does have special revelation. He will reveal himself through dreams and through visions, right? Less common and never contrary to his word, but the primary way in which God speaks to us presently and has spoken to God's people historically is through his word. So the question that we need to wrestle with is, do we listen to him? You See, God speaks. God has taken initiative to establish, to reveal himself to us through his word. And yet I think if we're honest, this this good news of God's revelation might be better categorized for us as just a neglected reality. It's something that we know, but not something that grabs our attention. Not something that we're actively pursuing together. So I think not only has a failure to listen marked God's people in history past, uh, I think a failure to listen is a common, everyday, real struggle that we have today. Which is why I find it very timely uh, that God would give us Isaiah 50 and 51. These two chapters begin to speak to us specifically about this idea of listening to God. Right? We saw it as you heard the text read, as Cindy read the text. We saw in verse four that God to this servant has uh, awakened him, has awakened his ear, has opened his ear. We saw in verse ten, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of the servant? We see these calls in chapter fifty-one. Listen to me, in verse 1. Give attention to me, my people. Give ear to me, my nation, in verse 4. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, in verse 7. God's wanting to get our attention this morning on this idea of listening. What it means to listen. What it means to walk with him. So, here's how I want to attack the text this morning. We're going to, we're going to break it up into three chunks. And, and the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, we're going to look at and meditate on uh, the, the song of a listening servant. Okay, that's going to be Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 through 9. Then we're going to look at the great hindrance to listening in chapter 50 verses 10 and 11, and then the motivation to listen in chapter 51 verses 1 through 8. Okay, meditate on the song of the listening servant, talk about the great hindrance to listening, and finally let's look at the motivation to listen. All right, let's start with the song of a listening servant. Last week, if you were here, and if you remember, uh, we listened to, we heard the second servant song. This week, we get our third out of four servant songs. The the final servant song we'll see at the end of Isaiah 52 and into Isaiah chapter 53. But each of these songs that we see in Isaiah is intended to uh, kind of crystallize or make more clear for us this idea of the servant servant figure the christ-like figure that's come to redeem israel to restore god's people and very much that's what we're going to see today just a a further crystallization of who is this person and we're going to see it as we just kind of meditate on the text together meditate on uh, what we see here in the song of the listening servant and what i want you to see is this third song sings of a servant who unlike israel listens to god you see when god speaks the servant listens. When God speaks, the servant listens. And as we meditate, it we're going to see how he listens and how his listening for us is an example and how his listening for us is also a substitute. Okay? But we're going to start by talking about, hey, this is, this is an example for us. This is a picture of us, and really it's a picture of a, for us of discipleship at its finest. At the very foundational level of what it means to be a disciple A learner, a servant of the Lord, is one who listens to God as God has revealed himself and then trusts himself to walk in obedience to the very revelation of God. So as we look at the servant here, as we meditate on this passage, let's look at what it means to be a disciple and what it has to teach us about being a disciple. So let's start in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So we see right off the bat, by listening the servant has become a competent disciple. He knows how to sustain the weary by the word of his mouth. If you ever tried to minister to the the wounded or the hurting or the broken hearted, you know how challenging that is. But the servant says, I've submitted myself to the Lord as though I am one who has been instructed, and I have learned how to minister a word to the weary, how to sustain them. He's a competent disciple. Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, I turned not backward. So by listening, the servant also has become an obedient disciple, one who is not rebellious, one who did not turn away or turn his back from the Lord, but rather who set his shoulders and his face to walk in a way with resolute determination, walk by the way of the Lord. He's an obedient disciple. We see in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 50, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. By listening, the servant has become a persecuted disciple. His obedience has led him into persecution. One who is rejected by those around him, those who did not fear the Lord. The servant was struck unjustly. He had his beard pulled out of his face and he was spat upon in disgrace. And we see that, that he didn't respond to sin done against him with more sin, but he responded with even greater submission to the Lord. So he was a persecuted disciple. And then verses 7 through 9 Behold, the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. By listening, the servant has become a confident disciple. He knows of the nearness and the presence of God. The one who withstood the suffering that was caused by his obedience did so confidently knowing the Lord was at his side. Knowing that with the Lord's help, no one could sustain a charge against him. You see, in this third song, we see a picture of discipleship. We see a disciple, a learner, a servant, who walks with both attractive tenderness, Right, he's able to minister a word to the weary, but also with resolute strength and determination. Like a flint, like a hard stone, I'm going to set my face to walk in obedience, even when that obedience leads to persecution, and I'm going to do so with great confidence. Men and women of Coram as we continue to talk about and think about and pray for and strive to pursue discipleship together, let this be a clear example of what it looks like for us to listen to God and to respond, uh, even through challenging circumstances. This is what we're striving for. Disciples, learners, are people who receive God's word as the highest and most ultimate authority. And we don't just, don't just hear, we listen to it, and the listening leads to understanding. It leads to greater knowledge, which leads to obedience. At times, an obedience that leads to suffering and persecution. So we see the servant as an example for us, but he's, he's much more than that. Last Sunday, Pastor Bob said that the servant of God's people, as we saw in the second psalm, needed to be a substitute. We needed a servant who could stand in the place of God's people, to be a representative of for them, someone who could walk and be obedient in the, in the midst of their disobedience, somebody who could be successful in the midst of their failing, failures, somebody who could be righteous in the midst of their unrighteousness. They needed a substitute, and that's exactly what we see here in this meditation, this third song. We see that although Israel rejected time and time again the Lord's call, the servant was always an attentive listener. Although Israel is unconvinced of God's love and power the servant is radically confident in the Lord's help and his nearness. Israel, as we've seen throughout the book of Isaiah, suffers because of sin and rebellion, while the servant suffers because he listens and he walks in obedience. Israel is repeatedly charged with offenses. The servant, rather, knows that there's no charge that will stand against him. You see, when God speaks, the servant listens, and listens as our substitute. Not just an example, but also a substitute. Somebody that's standing in our place. Somebody who can stand with righteousness and with integrity and say, I have followed the Lord. This is a picture of the servant. And when God speaks, the servant listens, both as an example and as a substitute. And I want you to see that we need to see them both come together. We can't can't separate them, right? Right? Because what happens is when you overemphasize, hey, here's an example for us to follow, you tend to minimize the power of the cross. You tend to minimize our need for a savior. You tend to minimize our need for grace and mercy, right? And at the same time, if all you do is look at substitution, you tend to minimize the power of the resurrection. Right? The reality that we've been made into a new creation, that we are now set apart as God's chosen people, filled with his spirit to walk in obedience, that we actually have a power that lives within us now, a Holy Spirit power dwelling in us that will respond to God, that will listen to God. If you think about it, at the very core, for those of you who've experienced the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit at conversion, in you is the spirit of God prepared and ready to listen to God, to hear from God. It's a beautiful thing. And for us to have a rich and robust and healthy view of the gospel with a, with a good, solid understanding of the power of uh, the cross and the power of the resurrection, I want us to see both of these things come together. And that's what we see here right? In this, in this meditation. This is what we see as we look at this song of the listening servant. So when God speaks, the servant listens. Now as the song ends, God's going to turn and speak directly to Israel again. Okay, the meditation is over. We've, we've looked at Christ. We've seen him lifted up. We've seen the servant figure lifted up. Now we're going to turn and God's going to speak to his people. And as he does so, we're going to find where uh, there is a great hindrance to listening. Okay, the great hindrance to listening. And we're going to see that in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 50. And what we're going to see here is, is a clear contrast of two ways of living. Okay, that are intended to be really apparent for us. Two ways of existing, two ways of engaging with life, even when it's difficult, even when you find yourself walking in darkness. You see two ways. The first one is verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God option one. Now, option two, behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. Right, so both both scenarios, right? It's not pretty. It's dark. There's a darkness around. Option one is in the midst of darkness, uh, remain obedient, listen to God, obey the voice of the servant, trust in the Lord, rely or lean on His name. Okay. Option two, disobedience by hey, we're gonna we're gonna start our own fire. Right? We got we gotta find some light. We're gonna we're gonna light some torches. We're gonna create this fire. We're gonna find a way out. We're gonna do that ourselves. Okay. And I think that shows us real clearly that, hey, there's a great hindrance to listening, and that great hindrance to listening is the sin of self-sufficiency. The sin of self-sufficiency. That's what verse 11 is showing us. This is a self-sufficiency that assumes you have no need for anything you cannot provide for yourself. It's it's a type of self-sufficiency that assumes that really you have no need for to trust in the name of the Lord. That There's no need to rely on him, to hope on him, to lean on him as God. Because really, hey, if things get bad, I'll be able to solve it. I'll be able to figure it out. I'll be able to find my way out of darkness. So let's talk about self-sufficiency for a moment or two. And the reason why I think we need to is because I, I have this concern that we have this uh, propensity if not a constant temptation to be a very self-sufficient people that dwell in a very self-sufficient city. Here's what I mean when I say I think we have this temptation to be a self-sufficient people. Last week I was speaking to a man in between services who's looking to kind of jumpstart a new company, and uh, we were just kind of joking about how in the midst of our community, just this, this people here alone, there are so many talented, gifted, competent people who can really get a lot of stuff done. Like whether it be in the field of education, whether it be in the field of medicine, whether it be in the field of law, IT, PR, whatever it is, man, we've got we've got a lot of competent people who can get a lot of stuff done. That's just kind of what marks us as a people in some ways. If you want it, it can probably happen. That's just it, it's a part of who we are. So not only are we self sufficient in some ways as a people who are just gifted and talented, and we just have this temptation to be able to, hey, we can, we can get stuff done. We also live in a very self-sufficient city, right? Think about it. Think about Omaha. Omaha has got strong economy, strong educational opportunities, a growing and vibrant art and music culture, right? Omaha is the type of city where if you want to start up a new company, there's, there's a lot of hope that that's going to be successful, a lot of plans in place for, for long-term sustainability and viability for new companies, Almost anything you need, you can, you can get it here in Omaha. We're not dependent upon other communities around us, right? We're self-sustaining. And along with that, one of the pillars of Omaha is that we just have this self-sufficient work ethic. It's, just, it's kind of the water that we drink. It's the I've got it, pull up your bootstraps, God helps those who help themselves, we don't coast, right, type of culture. This is what marks us. And see, for people who can be tempted to be self-sufficient people, who live in a self-sufficient city, uh, the danger is is you can tend to believe that there's no need to listen to God. There's no need to listen to God. There's no need to hear from God. And that's a very dangerous place to be. Assuming that if things get dark, if things get difficult, man, I can, just, I can light my own fire and I can find my way out. Does this describe you? Are you a self-sufficient person? Do you find yourself going long periods of time, long stretches, without assuming that there's a need to listen to God? Do you find yourself with no real need to to listen to God, to hear from Him, to seek His counsel, to be encouraged by His grace, to cry out and receive His mercy? If this describes you, I I think what this text is wanting to do is it's wanting to show you, hey, there's... There's a polarizing difference here, right? There's a people who trust in the Lord and there's a people who are very self-sufficient. And if you find yourself in that latter category, I think the invitation from God is repentance. It's a a willingness to acknowledge, I live much of my life in a very self-sufficient way to where there's aspects of my life where I just don't need God. If that sounds like you, I think God's inviting you, beckoning you into repentance, Becking you into a, a greater sense of dependency upon him, a, a greater need for him in all of life. You see, the, the truth of the matter is, is that we live in a culture right, that will say, hey, here's what true human flourishing is. True human flourishing is when in every aspect of your life, you're, you're functioning it, 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 in the fifth gear, whether it be work or home or family or recreation, whatever it is. Man, when you get everything going, that's true human flourishing. And yet, in contrast, I think what, what God's wanting to show us, what Christ wants to show us in the Gospels, is that true human flourishing is when we actually submit every aspect of our lives to him in dependency. When we're willing to say, hey, you, no, even where I'm doing well, I, I need to submit that to the Lord for his counsel and guidance. And, and where, where things are falling apart, the solution is not me trying to figure it out on my own, but, but just to submit myself to God, where he can be my light, where he can be my path. So I think the invitation is to repent and to turn away from self-sufficiency, but I think we also have to cultivate a greater uh, dependency upon the Lord. And the question is, is how, do we, how can we do that? How can we help each other do that as a people? And I think one way we can do it is by having a humble, honest assessment of our own limitations as human beings. So, This summer, I read a book. The title of the book was called Sensing Jesus, all right? The subtitle was Life and Ministry as a Human Being. It was written by Pastor Zach Eswine, who lives in St. Louis, had a chance to meet with him. It was just a real good time to discuss his work, and here was kind of the premise of the book. Here's how he set it up. He said, hey, the the sin in Genesis chapter 3, right, where the serpent comes in and, 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 and tempts Adam and Eve, right? is something that we all struggle with. It's the temptation of, hey, if you eat of this forbidden fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And he tends to argue in the book that, man, we all, we all struggle with that temptation. That inherent to all of us is this temptation to be omnipotent, to be omniscient, to be omnipresent, right? We, we want to be all-powerful people, right? We want to be able to solve whatever problems are going on in our own strength. We want to be all-knowing. We want to have it all figured out. We want to see how it all pieces together, man. We want to know everything, and man, if we don't know anything, we at least want to position ourselves to make ourselves look like we do. Man, we want to be everywhere all the time, right? We want to live into the the false reality that social media creates, right? I want to be able to be in their home. I want to be at that bar. I want to be at that club. I want to be in this study. I want to be all those places at one time. Inherit, we we all try to live up to this standard. And, and here, here was his big idea in the book. You're not God. I'll say it again. You're not God. You're a human being. And when you start to get that, it's actually incredibly liberating. Incredibly liberating. When you acknowledge, I, I, I can't fix that situation. I can't do it. I'm dependent upon the Lord to figure that one out because there's no way in my own strength I can do that. Man, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 don't know. I, I'm, I need to seek the one who does. I can only be where I am. Right? Like, do you get that? You can only be where you are. You can't be anywhere other than here right now. Right? These are your limitations as a human being. And when you start to embrace those and you start... You stop trying to put, portray this image that you are godlike, and you start to embrace the reality that I'm a human being that's dependent upon a creator. Man, there's great freedom and there's great dependence. I, I, think, I think one of the first steps to create growing dependence is just to be honest about our limitations, right? And I say it, there's great freedom because I think we strive so hard. We try so hard to put on this persona or this perception that we have it all together and that we're, we're at the top of our game. But, man, God's just wanting to free us, to acknowledge, you No, know, I have limitations. I can't see everything. I can't know everything. I can't be everywhere. But I know a God who is, and I know a God who can. And I want to submit myself to him. I want to listen to him. I want to hear from him. So I think a humble understanding of your limitations begins to create a dependence upon God. I think what we can also do to help cultivate a dependence upon God, a need to hear from him, is, is to have an adequate vision and understanding of what it is that he's doing around us. Right? I think one of the ways in which we mimic or show a self-sufficient spirit is by taking what God's doing and kind of lowering it down to something that we can accomplish in and of our own strength right? So, so think about the expectation that you have for work, right? What, what if we no longer saw work as, man, a place where I go, I punch the clock from 8 to 5, I kind of do my thing, I want to make sure I'm hitting my appraisal marks right, you know, I'd really like to get a promotion next year, but man, as long as I'm not getting fired, it's pretty good, right? What if our vision for vocation was that we're, we're a piece in a greater story of God's renewal, and whatever it is that you're doing you play a role in furthering furthering the work of justice in our city furthering the work of mercy in our city furthering the work of bringing god's kingdom to our city furthering the work of making this city a place where human flourishing can happen if that was your vision for work would you need to listen to god more i think so what what about your neighborhood Right? What if we were no longer just content with the, the quick wave, maybe as the garage door's going down, or the real brief conversation? What if we were no longer content with a once a year, we kind of do a fall festival and we get all the neighbors together, but rather we began to look at our neighbors in our neighborhood with a God-ordained vision? The type of vision that embraces the reality that God has placed us, he has determined our allotted times and dwelling places, according to Acts 17, so that those who are far from God can come to know God, so that your neighbors who are far from Jesus can, right, in the context of relationship with you, come in contact with the gospel, lived out and spoken in a way that draws them into relationship with Christ. Okay, I don't, you might be different than me, that's overwhelming to me. Right? There's a lot of pieces and stories of people's lives that I need to trust God that he knows and I just need to live faithfully, but I do know that I need to hear from him. So if that was your vision, would you need to listen to God more? Me, yes. What about, what about family, right? What about, what about family and parenting? What if our expectation as even parents, for those of you who are parents in the room, was more than just healthy kids, right? Staying out of trouble. Hopefully... Uh, hopefully staying alive, staying well, and we're just kind of getting from one day to the next, and we're really looking forward to Saturday where we can breathe. What if your vision for family was more than that? What if you had a God-ordained vision for your family that really was all about leaving a legacy behind you? Generation after generation after generation of children, of people worshiping Jesus, following him, submitting to him as Lord, and, and that's the wake that you're leaving behind you. If, if that was your vision, would you not need to listen to God more? Hear from him on what it means to live a life uh, in step with him, in step with the gospel, in step with the spirit in a way that, man, that can, that can be something I can honestly hope for. So I think it's important that that we as a people really help each other understand our own limitations and also help each other have a bigger vision of our existence. And the story that God's wanting to write in us, and through us. You see, the sin of self-sufficiency is a great hindrance to listening because it implies that, man, I got it. I'll take care of it. I can figure it out on my own. And it it exhausts the soul and it robs a church in this context of the power of the Holy Spirit. Greater dependence will evoke a lively, uh, vibrant community of people. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and God takes this very seriously. That's why you see at the end of verse 11, this you have from my hand. If you're a self-sufficient person, you shall lie down in torment. Like, there's a way that seems right to man, Proverbs says, that leads to death. All right? Don't trust yourself all the time. Hear from me. So that's the great hindrance of listening the great hindrance of listening is 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 the hindrance of self-sufficiency but we don't want to leave leave it there we want to want to turn into isaiah 51 and we want to find man what's what's the motivation to listen what's the motivation for us to listen And we see that in chapter 51 verses 1 through 8 and as i said at the beginning um hey the good the good news about god's revelation is the fact that he's spoken right? Like, there's good news in the fact that God has initiated relationship with us, that he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to make himself known in a way that we can know him through the person of Jesus Christ. And hey, I'll be honest, at the end of the day, that should be sufficient uh, evidence enough, motivation enough to listen. But I actually want to take it one step further. Because I think what tends to happen, especially when we look back at the Old Testament, is we tend to categorize God as one who may speak, but he speaks in kind of a removed transcendent sort of way that doesn't actually relate to my life, doesn't relate to my day in, day out. He's just, he's just kind of this, this transcendent God who's just kind of dropping law, right? But he's not actually there to minister to me. And I want to tell you, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You see, the, the, the beauty of God in his revelation is that he actually wants and can minister to your real needs and to your real concerns. He, he knows your heart, And in knowing your heart, he has spoken in his word to to minister to you, to minister to your frame. Whether you're dealing with this issue over here, whether you're dealing with this here, whether this is going on over here, God has spoken so completely in his word that he can minister to you, to your specific needs, to your specific crises, to your specific um, struggles. And that's just an awe-inspiring thing when you think about how diverse we are is a people so so we see even here in chapter fifty one verses one through eight that God calls His people to listen when He speaks and when He speaks we see three examples the restless find comfort the complacent find a cause and the fearful find confidence three different ways in eight verses that He's speaking to three different types of people I'll show it to you look at me look with me chapter fifty one verses one through three listen to me right the call to listen listen to me. You who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. Verse 3. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. See, when God speaks, the restless find comfort. Many of you struggle with restlessness or anxiety. Your restlessness could be triggered by more broad global issues, right? It could be uh, social injustices that that are happening across our nation it could be acts of terrorism that are happening globally it could be uh, illnesses like ebola that is just seems to be spreading everywhere you can't get on media without hearing about some sort of global crisis that's taking place maybe that triggers it for you uh, for others of you it's much more personal right it's 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 Struggles with the law, it's, it's litigation, it's, it's issues with the law that are piling up, it's, it's businesses that are, that are really hard to run that are b- becoming fractured, it's, it's marriages that seem to be coming undone right before your eyes, it's, it's, it's the lack of a job heading into the future, right? It's, it's, there's this sense of, I'm just restless about what the future brings. My current cir- circumstances seem really cloudy, uh, the future seems even more chaotic, and it just evokes a sense of restlessness. And, and here's, what, here's what God says, he says, look to Abraham. Right? Look to Abraham. He was but one when I called him. He was restless wanderer in the desert. I called him, and I blessed him, and I multiplied him. This is what I do. I take little, and I create abundance. As things seem to be withering in the desert, I allow them to flourish like in the garden. I take what is chaotic and I bring order and peace. This is what I do. I replace hopelessness with joy and gladness. So do you feel restless this morning? If you do, God wants you to listen to him and find comfort. He goes on in verse 4. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Hey, lift up your eyes to the heaven and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed see when god speaks the complacent they find a cause right there should be no room for complacency in christianity christianity has no room for boredom not when God gives you a vision like this. It's it's like he's taking the complacent, right? Those who are just kind of lacking purpose and meaning in life, who are just kind of ho humming through life. He he grabs them by the shoulders and he says, "Hey, give attention. Hey, give ear to me. Hey, look up, look up to the heavens, look to the earth. Here's what I'm doing. My righteousness has gone out. My salvation has gone out." I will come to judge. The nations, the coastlands, those who are far from me, they're waiting, they're hoping, they're longing for something like this to be true. I have set a new kingdom with a new king and a new law and a new power into the world. Come on, let's go do this. Right? He, he's inviting you into the great story of redemption that's in place. It, and when that happens, there's, there's no need to be complacent about anything. Right? The reason why we are often so bored with life is we keep putting our hearts hope and we keep trying to entertain ourselves with very temporary things god's speaking hey this is, this is something eternal that i'm doing this has eternal significance that will last forever come on join me in my cause and, and, and i want to say for, there, there's people here who are just kind of man just lacking purpose or vision what god has called us to as a church is is the mission of of, of planting churches of making disciples of seeing people grow in christ and multiply right That should never leave you bored. We've 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 got enough fun stuff to be a part of from now until when he returns with the new heavens and the new earth. Okay? So if you're complacent this morning, God says, Hey, listen to me and find a cause. Find a cause worth living for. There's a third one, verses seven and eight. It says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man. Nor be dismayed at their revilings for the moth will eat them up like a garment and the worm will eat them like wool but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations you see when god speaks the fearful find confidence by and far the best way to avoid the fear of man is to listen to what god has to say about you he says christian right Those of you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law—who are you? Who does God say you are? Right, you're God's people. You're God's own child. You're God's precious children that have been purchased by the blood of His Son, that have been purified for good works, who've been made pure to be pure. Who does God say you are? You're, You're His child. You are accepted. You are loved. You are respected. You are worthy. You are valued. This is who you are. This is who you are in Christ. So be who you are in Christ. Walk with the confidence you have from God in Christ. What other people say about you? The opinions and thoughts of men? Come on, man. It's temporary. It's not going to last. They're just another human being. What matters is what I say about you. Listen to me. So for those of you who struggle with fear of man, God says, hey, listen to me. I will speak confidence into you. See, the motivation to listen is is that when God speaks, he doesn't speak in some sort of abstract way. He speaks, speaks in very personal ways that will minister to your heart wherever you need to find comfort, wherever you need to find purpose, wherever you need to find confidence. God speaks to you in very practical ways in his word. And that's no clearer than in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Right? John, John chapter 1, the incarnation. John describes it this way. He says, the word has become flesh and has dwelt among us. Think about that. The spoken word of God has become flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. See, here's what's true about this afternoon. We're gonna we're gonna finish up here, and I'm gonna go home. It's gonna be a little bit after lunch. and, and we've got the afternoon block of time ahead of us, we've got the evening time ahead of us at the Curtis household, okay? And, and the difference between harmony and horror is listening, okay? There's a chance it could go really, really well. There's a chance it could get out of hand, right? And, and at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to listening. Now, am I gonna to need to remind my kids to listen? Am I gonna to need to remind them to listen to me, to listen right away with a happy heart, okay? It's kind of one of the mantras of our family. Listen and obey right away with a happy heart. Yeah, I, I'll need to say it, but... But at the end of the day, what my kids need, what we need is not, not just a reminder of a law. We don't, we don't just need a, a new law. We don't just need to be told to listen. We, man, we, don't, we don't just need a new word. We need the word to become flesh and to dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So that we can be saved from our brokenness. So we can be saved from the ways in which we reject the word of God. And so we can be forgiven for that, so we can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God with great capacity and desire to hear from him and to be dependent upon him and to flourish the way God has intended us to flourish. We need Christ. Together we need Christ in the same way that my kids need Christ and for there to be great harmony and blessing, man, we need to hear from him. So I just want to encourage us. I want to leave us at a place where, man, we just stop and we say, hey, in the, in the areas and the aspects of my life where I'm just relying on myself, man, let's just lay that down. Let's turn from that. In the areas of my life where I've been so self-sufficient, it's led to restlessness. It's, it's led to fear. It's led to complacency. Man, let's just lay that down, right? And let's humbly come to the Lord and acknowledge, hey, I, I'm a dependent being who cannot figure it out on my own who needs to hear from God. And let's be encouraged by the fact that God speaks. Right? God has spoken in his word, and God has purely spoken when his word became flesh in the coming of his son. Right? and Let's ask him to give us ears to hear. We're, making, we're continuing to make this turn in Isaiah, right? right listen to me, I know, I know Isaiah's been a long study, okay? I know it's been long, right? It's been good, and it's getting better, Right? Our longings that we'll have ears to hear as this thing really starts to center in on the person and the work of Jesus Christ and as it really begins to, to flesh out for us what's it mean to be a redeemed people, to look ahead to a new heavens and a new earth. My longing is that God would give us ears to hear that so we can continue to be formed and shaped into his image, all right? So let me pray for us. We'll transition to communion. God, thank you that you are God and we are not. Thank you that you are not dependent on anything, uh, but you have created us and redeemed us uh, to be dependent people dependent upon you. Thank you for loving us in a way that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. I want to pray that you would grow in us a capacity by your Holy Spirit to listen and to respond in obedience, to listen and respond with worship, to listen and respond with uh, songs of praise and thanksgiving. God, areas in our lives that are marked by self-sufficiency, would you strip that from us? We, we don't want to steal power from you. Uh, we don't want to drive ourselves into the ground in exhaustion. And uh, we want to be people who are greatly dependent and who flourish as your people as we submit all of our lives to you. God, make us be fully aware of our dependence in a way that honors you and brings glory to your name. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.